You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read the first three verses in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to read verse 6 as well. Hebrews chapter 11, the first three verses, and then verse number 6. This is the faith chapter. A lot of times people call this the hall of faith, the hall of fame, and it's a good chapter about faith, the faith chapter. All right, first three verses, and then we'll hop down to verse 6. The Bible says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Lord. Thank you so much for saving my soul and for this church, Lord. Uh, these church members, and I just love them to death, Lord. And I ask that you just please speak through me, Lord. Uh, move in a mighty way in the service tonight, Lord. Help me uh, preach what you would want me to preach. Teach what you would want me to teach, Lord. And uh, man, I just love you, Lord, and I love you so much. And I praise your name. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, this is some of the strongest words in the entire Bible. In fact, this statement made concerning faith is not made about any other doctrine or principle in the Word of God. Without faith, we cannot please God. Now, why is that so important? Well, to understand that, to understand the importance of faith, we need to understand what true biblical faith actually is, the definition of faith. Now, faith is belief plus trust. It is resting in the person of God and his word to us. And faith is an active practice built upon belief. Faith is solid, unshakable confidence in God, built upon the assurance that he is faithful to his promises. And faith says that what God has promised will happen, and it is so certain that it's almost as if it's already happened. That's what true faith is. Faith is belief plus trust. And a lot of times the illustration that I give to my kids is putting your entire weight on a chair. You know, you can believe all you want that this chair is going to hold you, but it's not true faith unless you act upon it and actually sit down on that chair. That's the idea of what faith is. Faith is belief plus trust. And faith is such an important aspect in the Christian life. For one, because without faith we cannot please God. But for others, without faith we fail and fall in the Christian life. Faith is so important and so vital to Christians. Living the Christian life without faith is like driving a car with no oil. It's like washing clothes with no soap or playing halfback in the Super Bowl with no helmets or pads. It just doesn't work out. It, it can't be done. Without a life of biblical faith, many Christians struggle with discouragements, fear, and worry in their life. And having faith, we need to remember, it's trusting in God even when we can't logically figure out the outcome. It means not worrying about a problem or situation, but giving it over to God and letting him handle it. And that's what we need to realize, because faith is not logical. But faith is not illogical either. Faith is theological. It just puts God into the equation. You know, that's what true faith is. It's putting God into the equation. It's not logical. It's not illogical. It's theological. And faith is so important in our life. 
And in Hebrews chapter 11, in, these first, uh, in the first three verses of Hebrews 11 and in verse 6, it's broken down why faith is so important in the Christian life and why you and I need faith to succeed and to be what God has called us to be. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today, the reasons why faith is so important. And in verses 1 and 2, we find out that faith will affect your ways. Hannah, could you give me a drink of water, please? That faith will affect your ways. That's the first reason why faith is so important. Look at verses 1 and 2, if you would. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. So in verse 2, we see faith will affect your ways. For by it, because of faith, the elders obtained a good report. And we see it affects your ways in three ways. Number one, faith produces salvation, right? That's what Ron was saying over there. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it affects your ways, it produces salvation. Number two, faith produces service, right? In James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we see that faith without works is dead. True biblical faith is going to act on obedience. It's going to do the right thing. It's going to serve. So faith affects your ways. It produces salvation. It produces service. But then not only that, number three, faith also produces surrender as well. Man, if you're saved and you're serving the Lord, you're going to come to a point because of faith where you surrender to God, where you say, Jesus Christ, I want you to live through me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, faith will affect your ways. And that's the first reason why faith is so important in the Christian life. But not only that, in verse 3, we also see that faith will affect your wisdom as well. Look at verse 3, if you could. The Bible says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So faith will affect your wisdom. First off, faith will affect your wisdom concerning the word of God. Notice what that verse says. The Bible says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You see, you are going to be wise concerning the word of God when you're reading it and studying it. We, 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 our faith grows the more we read God's word. So it will affect you concerning the word of God. But not only that, it will also affect you concerning the will of God as well. You will be wise when you study this Bible, and you'll soon find out what the will of God is. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So it's wise for us to know what the will of the Lord is. We know the will of the Lord by reading this book. And again, we see that time and time again. We see that faith will affect your wisdom concerning the word of God, the will of God, and then number three, and this all goes hand in hand, it will affect your wisdom concerning the work of God as well. If you are reading the word of God, you're going to know the will of God, and if you know the will of God, you're also going to want to work and serve the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16, it, it, it goes hand in hand with what the will of the Lord is. He tells us in Ephesians 5, verses 16, that we should redeem the time. We should redeem the time, and that's what the will of the Lord is. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So it will affect you concerning the work of God. Redeeming the time has to do with making the most of every opportunity and every moment in ministry. Basically, serving the Lord and working for Him no matter what. And it all goes hand in hand there. If you are serving the Lord, if you are reading God's Word, you're going to know the will of the Lord, and man, you're going to work. Amen? And faith will affect your wisdom in all three of those aspects. Because faith does not waver 
or grow weary in the work. It's going to keep on working. You're going to keep on serving the Lord. And the Christian life, honestly, cannot be separated from faith. Faith is everything to the Christian. We are saved by grace through faith in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We walk by faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And we live by faith in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. With all that in mind, you can be sure that faith affects the work. So we see in verses 1 through, well, uh, 1 through 3 that faith will affect your ways, faith will affect your wisdom, but then in verse 6 we see that faith will affect you in warfare as well. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now the reason why it is impossible for us to please God without faith is because without faith, we fail. Without faith, we fall. And God loves us, right? God doesn't want us to fail. God doesn't want us to fall. So therefore, we cannot please God unless we have faith. And praise the Lord, the Bible says if we do have faith, if we are letting Jesus Christ live through us, we cannot fall and we cannot fail. The Bible says in Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, but to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You see, if we're acting on faith, and letting Jesus Christ live through us. We're not only pleasing God, but we cannot fail and we cannot fall. Now that's the reason why it's impossible for us to please God without faith, because faith is our shield in battle. Faith is our defensive weapon to protect us from Satan's fiery darts. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Above all, taking the shield of faith above everything else. You see, faith is important to us. It's our shield in battle. Faith will shield our head against doubts. Faith shields our hearts against detours, and faith shields our hands against defeats. You see, those are the reasons why faith is so important in the Christian life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, in these four verses, it breaks down why it's so important, but then in the rest of the chapter, it goes on to talk about these great men and great women of God who did some amazing things for the Lord because they acted on faith. And that's the same exact thing with us. They recognized the importance of faith, and therefore God moved in a mighty way in their life. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find an inspiring list of some of God's most faithful people who could not see the finish line, but knew it was there. The faith of these saints spurred them to action, even in uncertain and fearful circumstances. They were risk takers, mold breakers, system shakers. Most of all, they were faith walkers, and we need to be just like them. From their lives, we learn what true faith looks like. We see that faith brings the proper sacrifice. Faith enables one to walk with God. Faith builds an ark when it has never rained before. Faith begins a journey of obedience despite not knowing the final destination. Faith dwells in tents in a foreign country. Faith looks for a city whose builder and maker is God. Faith gives a mother strength to bear a child when she is past the age of childbearing. Faith is being willing to sacrifice one's own son in obedience. Faith believes in the resurrection. Faith promises not to leave Joseph's bones in Egypt. Faith refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Faith chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God. Faith esteems the reproach of Christ as greater than the treasures of Egypt. Faith forsakes Egypt for the promised lands. Faith passes through the Red Sea as on dry grounds. Faith rock, walks around Jericho until the walls fall down. 
Faith subdues kingdoms, works righteousness, obtains promises, stops the mouth of lions, quenches the violence of fire, escapes the edge of the sword, and turns to fight the armies of the enemy. Faith receives dead back to life, and faith receives the promise. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. And those great men and women of God written about in Hebrews 11 would not have accomplished anything if it was not for their faith in God. That was the main thing. They recognized the importance of faith. They acted on that faith, and therefore God worked in a mighty way. And you see, God just wants us to trust him. That's it. He just wants us to trust our Heavenly Father, to trust him that he has a plan, and then he'll do the rest. Amen? But it can be difficult. It can be very, very hard. But what God does, and I praise the Lord for this, is God puts some things into our life to help our faith grow and to help our faith develop in the Christian life just like the great men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, there were some strategies that God used in those people's lives to help their faith grow. And that's the same thing with us. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today. We're going to look at five key strategies to help our faith grow. And that's something that we all need. We all want a strong faith. Amen? We all want our faith to grow, and we want God to work in a mighty way. Well, for that to happen, we've got to follow these strategies. We've got to let God do the work. All right? Number one, to grow our faith, we need preaching. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In that verse, we clearly see that faith is generated by hearing God's word. And that's one of the many reasons why we need to be in church whenever the church doors are open. That's what God uses, right? God uses preaching to help our faith grow. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we need to recognize the worth of preaching God's word. Open your heart to the Lord's leading before each service and make preaching a priority in your life. And this is something that we really need to remember because the man of God in your local church, Jesse Haley, he is preaching a message that was divinely given by God directly for you in that congregation. And being faithful to preaching is at the utmost of importance. And I think a lot of times we just think that hearing preaching is fine and that's fine and good. But literally, we need to remember now, God gives a divinely given message to the local man of God for us. And I love listening to preaching, man. I listen to preaching just about every single day, if not every single day, over and over and over again. I've got my favorite preachers, Dr. Kenny Baldwin. Man, I love them. Paul Chapel, Dr. Ronnie Simpson, Dr. Tommy Wenzel. Man, I can listen to them all day. They're my favorite people to listen to in the world. They are amazing preachers. But my faith has grown more by hearing the preaching of Jesse Haley than any one of those guys. You want to know why? Because God gave a divine message to our local man of God for me. And that's why my faith started to grow. We need to remember that God uses the local church and uses preaching to help our faith grow. So just listening to a, a pastor online, man, it will help you. It will encourage you, but it won't do the job that, that would happen if you were sitting in church listening to the preaching from the man of God. We need to remember that. The preaching of God's word is a motivation that God uses to grow our faith. Hearing the word spoken and preached by others allows scripture to reach you and fill you in an essential way. And that's something that we all need to realize. We need to listen to preaching. We need to come to church and we need to read our Bible. But I think a lot of times us, when it comes to faith, we think that it's something that, man, a supernatural thing that God sends down. But that's not the case at all. Faith comes and it grows in the Christian life. 
Faith is not some flash of light that shines down and all of a sudden you have superpowers. No, faith is something that grows the more you read and study God's Word. The more you read the Bible, the more you come to church, your faith is going to start to grow. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said this, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had up to this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing ever since. You see, that's the way our faith can grow. It comes from studying God's word, coming to church, hearing preaching and reading the word of God. That's the way. And, and it's so good. It's, it's, it's completely fine to pray for faith. You know, uh, one prayer that I play a lot is, Lord, help my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief, Lord. Help my, help my faith grow. And that's so good, and that's fine. But my faith is going to grow so much more if I'm coming to church and I'm reading my Bible. You see, and, and we, need re, we need to remember now that faith, foundation, formation, and our relationship with God, they're all connected. Faith in and of itself will not do you any good. We must have faith in our foundation, which is Jesus Christ. You know, faith is only as good as its object. And our object needs to be Jesus Christ. All right. And we see that truth in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Uh, turn your Bibles there if you could. Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25. Notice what the Bible says there regarding the winds and the waves obeying our Lord Jesus Christ. This has to do with the foundation of our faith. The Bible says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. You see, after Jesus Christ calmed the storm, he looked to his disciples and said, Where is your faith? Now, he did not ask if their faith existed, but what its foundation was. Where is your faith? You see, the key is foundation. If you have the right foundation, your faith will grow. And our foundation needs to be Jesus Christ our strong spiritual foundation. And the Bible says that that's the case. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible calls Jesus Christ our chief cornerstone. So we need to have him as our solid foundation. We need to have a strong personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the only way our faith will be able to grow. The only solid and unchanging foundation for true faith is found in the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Only when we take God at his word and believe he will do as he says, will our faith grow. And when we hear the word of God, read the word of God, and then respond to the word of God, our faith grows. When God tells us to do something and we do it, we strengthen our faith and ability to believe him. So that's the cool thing about preaching, man. Just coming and hearing a service, that's great, that's fine and good. But once you actually just start to act and start to be obedient to God's word, man, that's when you start to see God move in a mighty way, and your faith just starts to grow more and more and more, and it's an amazing thing, especially if you're a young Christian, and you just surrender to the Lord, and you start acting on faith. It's so cool to see God work in a mighty way, and it's only going to make your faith grow more and more and more. 
And that's one of the strategies God uses. To grow our faith, we need preaching. Number two, we also see to grow our faith, and this is a tough one, to grow our faith, we need problems. And that's not a fun one whatsoever. But we need problems to help our faith grow. You know, and I, I truly, I'm not trying to, you know, whine or anything like that, but I believe I'm kind of going through a trial right now with things going on. You know, me and, me and my wife, we have a burden for Akron. We really do. We have a burden for Akron, and we think that that's where the Lord's calling us to go. And every time we've got that Bible study to get going, something happens. Uh, both times I was supposed to speak at JAM, it got canceled. And right when we were about to get the Bible study coming, uh, COVID-19 happened, and we had to put it on hold. And then right before we got the ball rolling, the night before we spent our entire night in Akron getting things going, looking at the church, praying over it, the next day I got admitted in the hospital and I was in there for three days. It was tough. I was supposed to get my bachelor's degree that Saturday, and man, things were looking so good, and then the Lord kind of put a halt to it a little bit. And I was discouraged, and right now I can't study the way that I used to, and it's really hard for me. Man, I used to, my favorite thing to do was study in God's Word. And there would be times, man, or not times, it, it was, uh, it, my, that's my number one job is to study God's Word and have a strong prayer life. So just about every day leading up to that point, I was in my Bible six, seven hours out of the day studying God's Word. And I loved it. And I had a strong personal relationship with Him. And then this trial happens. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I know trials happen to get us to look to Him. You know, that, that thing's true. That, that, that's for sure. But I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was already looking to him. I was already looking to him, and I was fully surrendered. Why are these things happening now? Why are these trials happening? But God does that to mature us and to get us ready for the next step. You know, and, you know when I was in the hospital, man, they put me on so many different antibiotics, antibacterials, man. I've never been on that many IVs in my life. Man, I was sick, and it was a ton. And after that, I got a bellyache from all those antibiotics. I need to get on some probiotics, Ron, to help me feel better. So I've been taking a lot of Pepto-Bismol lately, a lot of it, because uh, my belly hurts and stuff. And I was reading the directions on the Pepto-Bismol bottle, and it said, shake well before using. And then it dawned on me. That's what God does with us a lot of times. He shakes us up a little bit before he can use us. He, he prepares us and get us ready for the next step. And so when we realize that, we can act on confidence and we can do what James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says. We can count it all joy when trials comes our way. James 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, diverse trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, God brings problems our way so he can use us and we can be perfect, mature, and ready for any situation that come our way. Man, we can hit those curveballs and go oppo to left field and just be on fire for the Lord whenever a trial comes because, man, it's making us mature. It's making us perfect and making us meet the potential that God wants us to meet. That's why God brings problems our way. It causes our faith to grow. You see, God will use our problems to deepen our faith in him. Life's most challenging and fearful situations can be our best opportunities to realize God's strength. And it reminds me of this. A typical concert piano has over 240 strings that when turned and tightened, create a pull of 40,000 pounds on the frame. 40,000 pounds on average on a typical piano. But without that tension, there would be no beautiful music. You need to have that tension. You need to have 
those pounds, that tension in life. And that's the same way with us. God allows problems to come into our life to get us to look to him and to get us to rely on him. This not only matures us, causing us to develop our faith, but it also creates beautiful music in our life. God brings problems our way so we can look to him and so we can bring glory to God and be like, man, look what God did out of this situation. Look what God did out of this trial. And it will cause your faith to grow more and more and more. And it has been said that we are either going through life or we are growing through life. God wants to grow your faith. And he does this through the problems and trials in your life. And we need to remember now, God knows the trials you are called to endure. But to the faithful, he gives us a glorious promise. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You see, God's got everything under control. And man, we are going to be rewarded. We are going to be blessed if we stay faithful in the midst of the famine if we stay faithful in the midst of the trials that we're going through. So God uses problems in our life to help our faith grow. God uses preaching to help our faith grow. And then number three, we see that to grow our faith, God uses people as well. He uses people to help our faith grow. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And just going to read a couple verses there, uh, 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. In that verse, we see to grow our faith, we need people. You see the word, let us, one another, let us, ourselves together, one another. You see that over and over and over again, indicating it's not just you, it's about everybody. And I don't know if you ever uh, do this, watch the Discovery Channel or anything, but I don't know if you've ever seen um, lions attacking their prey and, and seeing how lions attack their prey. They don't pick the, 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 the beasts that are surrounded by all the animals, right? No, they, they, they attack the, the stragglers, the people that are alone, falling behind in the herd. Those are the people that the lions attack indicating that there's safety in numbers, right? That they're not going to attack the people that are right in the middle, who are surrounded by all these animals, all their buddies. No, they're going to attack the one that's falling behind. And that's the same way with us. Satan doesn't want us to realize that we need each other. We need people for our faith to grow. We need people to succeed in the Christian life. And Satan does not want you to realize that. God never intended for his children to be isolated and alone. When Jesus sent the disciples out to begin preaching on their own, he sent them in pairs. When Elijah was depressed and discouraged, God gave him Elisha to join him in the ministry. When God commanded the early church to send out missionaries, they sent Paul and Barnabas together. Now, that what we see that is there is enormous safety and encouragement in knowing that we're not alone. God wants us to be together. God wants us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He wants us to hang out with each other fellowship with one another. Man, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to encourage one another. And Satan is delighted when he can convince us to strike out on our own. He loves it. Leaving behind our spiritual family in the church, we fall. He knows that an isolated Christian is an easy target. And we need to remember there is truly safety in numbers. 
And we see that again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, a lot of times when we look at the whole armor of God, we look at that Roman soldier and you, you kind of see him alone, right? You see him alone with the shield, but that's not the case whatsoever. That's not the way the shield was meant to be used. You see, the shield was large. It was about four feet by two feet long, made of wood and covered in tough leather. They soaked this leather in oil, and then the night before the battle, they soaked it in water. So this thing was tough. This thing was big. And the way they built this was for it to come together. The way they built it was for uh, the Roman soldiers to line up one from another. The edges of those shields were so constructed that an entire line of soldiers could interlock shields and march into the enemy like a solid wall. This indicates that we're not in this battle alone. A solid wall. So literally, you would have 100 Roman soldiers interlocking their shields together. And so when those fiery darts got sent at you, man, they couldn't touch you because you were banded together and you had this solid wall as you're watching to fight the enemy. You see, that's the same way with us. Man, we are not supposed to fight this battle alone. We are going to fall. But if we band together, man, we've got the victory. Faith is our shield. And we see this truth throughout the scriptures. In James chapter 5, verse 16, one of my favorite verses, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying that if I ask Chad to pray for me about a cur cur uh, certain situation, if I ask him to pray for me, man, it gets the job done. Prayers get answered when our brothers and sisters pray for one another. And again, we see that, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. That term, one another, is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses, indicating that we need each other in the Christian life. We need each other to succeed in this world. That's why we need to come to church. We need to fellowship. We need to open up with one another. This is a safe place. This should help us encourage us and exhort us and help us grow, edify one another. And, and it reminds me of this. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but the giant redwood trees of California. Man, these trees, they grow up to hundreds of feet in the air. They're big and they're tall and they're unmovable. But it's interesting. The strength of a redwood's roots is found in other redwoods. Instead of going deep underground, these roots spread sideways and intertwine with the roots of other redwood trees so that they hold each other up. So these trees, they don't gain their strength by going down. They grow by intertwining with one another. That's why when you see these trees together, they're tall and they're unmovable. And that's the same way with us. That is God's pattern for us. We need, to re, we need our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ to rejoice with us to pray with us, and to encourage us no matter the circumstance. To grow our faith, we need people. So that was number three. To grow our faith, we need preaching. We need problems. We need people. And number four, to grow our faith, we need purpose. Now Solomon indicated this in Ecclesiastes. He, he told us that if we do not understand the purpose of life, then we will feel useless and live a life of unfulfillment. Ecclesiastes 1, 1, 2 says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity, everything under the sun. Man, life is useless. There's no purpose in life. If you don't have purposes, purpose in life, your life is like a vapor. It's useless. It fadeth away, and it's awful. It can't be done. When we live life without purpose and God's will, everything is vanity. Everything is useless. And we see that throughout life today, man. The reason why people are committing suicide at a record number is because they feel like their life has no meaning. 
their life has no purpose and it breaks my heart. I'm here to tell you today, your life has meaning and your life has purpose. Someone once said the greatest strategy in life is not death, but a life without purpose. The greatest strategy. I'm here to tell you today, if you're saved by the grace of God, man, your life has purpose. And if you're not saved, man, get saved. And man, your life has purpose, amen. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. We see it all throughout the scriptures, how much of a purposeful life you have. In Ephesians 1.11, the Bible says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now that word predestinated, does that mean that God cherry-picks sinners to be saved and other people to go to hell? No, that word predestinated basically means he, want, he predestinated, he, he purposed us to be conformed to the image of his son, to be best friends with Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. His purpose for us is to be best friends with him, to spend time with him and to bring glory to God, to point people to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse, six, uh, verse 10, our purpose coming to pass. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. We are his workmanship. That's our purpose. That Greek word translated workmanship is poimia, which is where we get our English word poem from. Where is poem? Another word for that, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. You want to know something? God thinks you're pretty awesome. God thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're hot stuff. He, you're his masterpiece. You want to know what happens when he looks at you, Hannah? He goes, mm. you know, you're a masterpiece. Melis delissimo or something. I don't know. Is that delicious? And I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, you're his masterpiece. That's all I'm getting at. God thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're wonderful. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, he's invested his life into you. He thinks you're hot stuff. He's just looking at you like this, just taking you in. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and your life has purpose. And his purpose for you is to be conformed to the image of his son, to bring glory to God, for you to be best friends with him. And that's our purpose in life. And once we realize that, we realize that our life has purpose and we start following through in our purpose for God and uh, God's purpose for us, man, our faith is going to grow immensely and we're going to be on fire for God and be able to accomplish so many different things in this world for his glory. You see, to grow our faith, we need purpose. To grow our faith, we need problems. We need preaching. We need people. And then finally, and I'm done, to grow our faith, we need perspective. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, if you could. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 6, and then I'll be done. The Bible says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the roots, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So when the disciples asked Jesus if he would increase their faith, he answered by telling them that if they had faith the size of a mustard seed, they would be able to uproot and cast a sycamine tree into the sea. Look up a sycamine tree. Those are some big old things. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can cast that into the sea. Now, what Jesus was saying was, it was not about the size of their faith, but the size of their God. It's not about how much faith we have. It's about the size of our God. That's the key thing when it comes to the Christian life. The problem is not that we need more faith, but that we need to use the faith that we have. We have all the faith we need to accomplish anything that comes before us, but the key is accessing God's power. It's having the right perspective. It's kind of like power steering in your car. 
The reason why I can turn my car with one hand is not because I'm buff and strong. No, it's, it's not my strength that steers the car. It's the power steering that does all the work. That's the same way with us. It's not about our faith. It's about the size of our God. And for our faith to be effective, we must keep our focus on him. That's the reason why these people in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, these great men and women of God did so much for the Lord. It's because they kept their focus on God. It is significant that the writer of Hebrews, after celebrating the faith of the extraordinary believers in chapter 11, told us to look to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11, man, you've got the hall of faith, the hall of fame, these great men and women who accomplished so much for the Lord by faith, by faith, by faith. Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice what the Bible says there, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that term, looking unto Jesus, isn't, isn't this. Not me just looking unto Jesus that way. No, looking unto Jesus, the idea there is literally turning from your problems and looking to him. That's what looking unto Jesus means. So those people, those people that accomplished so much for God, they turned away from their problems, they turned away from the things of this world, and they looked to God and they looked to the promise. And that's the same way with us. We need to keep our focus on Jesus, not on anyone or anything else. And a lot of times, man, we put those people by faith on a pedestal, man. Man, I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Moses. Uh, Moses. I want to be like Noah. I got mixed up there. I want to be like, I want to be like those people. I want to have faith like them. But it wasn't about how great those men and women were in Hebrews 11. It was about how great their God was. Having the right perspective. Abraham was good, but he was not perfect. He lied about his wife saying she was his sister. Noah was a good man, but he got drunk from the grapes in his vineyard. David was as great a sinner as he was a soldier. Jacob was a good man, but he lied and stole. All of these men were good, but they weren't perfect, and every single one of them had flaws, flaws in his life. So look away from an imperfect Abraham, Noah, David, and Jacob. Look away from all others and fasten your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He began it and he'll finish it. He was perfect and sinless. Even Pilate, a great sinner, said, I find no fault in this man. You see, that's the person that we're to look to, that perfect, almighty God that died on the cross for you. Hey, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's where we get our power. That's where we get the success that God has for us. That's where we get the victory, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to look to him. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, as the hymn says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been driving on a sunny day with the sun right in your eyes? And when you turned your eyes away, everything was shadowy? you were more captivated by the greater lights. Or have you ever been out in a, the bright sunlight and then walked into a dark room? For a few moments, you can't see a thing. You are more captivated by the greater lights. You see, no matter how brightly something shines, it dims in the presence of the sun. And that's the same way with us, spiritually speaking. When our eyes are fastened on Jesus, everything else dims in the presence of the sun, S-O-N. Every Christian needs to get blinded by the sun, amen? The author 
and finisher of our faith. We need to gaze upon him, look upon him, and praise God. He will blind us from the issues surrounding us. We need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we all stand.